From WNET in New York, welcome to WNET Up Next. Hi, I'm Tom Stewart. As always, our goal is to bring you inside the world of public media and help you get to know the people who make it all happen. Today, we're launching a three-part series focusing on the three hosts of Metro Focus, WNET New York Public Media's daily news program, Jenna Flanagan, Raphael P. Roman, and Jack Ford. First up, it's my pleasure to welcome Jenna Flanagan to WNAC Up Next. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, before we uh, talk about Metrofocus, uh, something I want to clear up. I've been told that the Muppets actually had something to do with your becoming a journalist. Is that a true story? That is an absolutely true story. I grew up as a child of public media, public television, and uh, between Sesame Street and, of course, The Muppet Show, there was a segment called The Muppet News Flash. Okay. And actually, even on my computer right now, there's still the symbol of the news flash on my computer. But, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. Love I, love I remember yes. that, and I remember being like, you know, a preschooler and being thinking, I, I want to do that. Okay. And what else do you think made you want to pursue a career in journalism, in addition to the Muppets? Uh, uh, well, I would have to say, um, <laughs> as much as this pains me to say, uh, I was raised by an English teacher, an English professor, and I developed a love for storytelling and appreciation for storytelling. And uh, both my parents were very socially active, and so through listening to a lot of public radio and watching a lot of public television, and I really cannot underline how prevalent that was in my childhood, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be one of those people who had a chance to tell some of these stories and not tell them necessarily from my own agenda, but to help people tell their stories. And that you came to that at a fairly early age. That's kind of an amazing uh, thing. Yeah. uh, Not many people, I think, know what they want to do at about maybe 10. But uh, 10 years old was when I got to go to my first journalism camp at SUNY New Paltz, and I I fell in love. That's great. Now, you've had a variety of uh, positions on air, off air, in the world of journalism. How did some of your past experience help inform uh, where you are now and some of those early jobs? Oof. Um, Well, I started as a production assistant, which is where I think a lot of people coming into this business start. And you definitely, you learn the business from the ground up. And if you're lucky enough to be in a really solid newsroom, you get an understanding of how all of the different pieces of a news department work together, particularly when there's breaking news. And given the fact that I graduated college in 1999, I have been in the New York media, which is also unheard of, but I started in New York and managed to hang on here for a lot of the huge stories that have hit the area. I know you were at WINS 1010 Winds. That's where I started, yeah. Yeah. That was was for, my goodness, um, unfortunately, uh, 9-11, but also my first big story, my first big presidential election was Bush v. Gore. And the night that never ended as we all waited for the result that just wouldn't come. This sometimes happens in presidential yeah. elections. Uh, we've seen that uh, a couple of times now. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, how long have you been with Metro Focus now? And how did that all happen? Oh, okay. Well, my God. that's uh, I want to say it's been about three years now. And that came about because I was working for uh, a show called New York Now out of the 
WMHT up in Albany. Exactly. And uh, so the show Metro Focus had started, and they were using some of my packaged pieces from New York Now. And I got a phone call asking me if I would be interested in coming down and participating in, you know, first it started out as talking about my stories mm-hmm. and then moved into hosting. This was a wonderful story. Uh, Metro Focus is a very specific kind of daily news broadcast. And for those of you listening who, who don't know, uh, it's a daily news program, mm-hmm. but it takes a sort of different look at a daily news program. Can you help me explain that? Well, by I say a different look at the daily news is that we're not so much, uh, you know, if it bleeds, it leads kind of news story. We're going to be talking more about the stories, not necessarily what the story is. And a good example of that would be, so perhaps there's going to be a new study that comes out that details the number of homeless people in New York. Well, we've had other journalists on who have been talking about some of the ways that the city is attempting to deal with the homeless issue in New York. Or some of the outreach groups who are trying to reach out and help some of these uh, people who are finding themselves in these desperate situations. So providing a lot of context for, for headline, for headline Absolutely, stories. Yeah. And I know that uh, you are very, very busy. You've been up all day working on something which we'll talk about in a second. But is there such a thing as a typical day for you working on Metrofocus? I don't know, actually, a typical day. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's so hard to say. Uh, and people... What are some of the kinds of things that go into making a Jenna Flanagan day as a broadcast journalist? Okay, well, that day usually starts about 5, 6 a.m., and that's with me getting emails from our executive producer, Dave Brown, usually about whatever the uh, lead stories that we're hoping to plan on for the day, Um, if there's any sort of piece that they want me to start reading in on as I start my day, so I'll get that information. Then, of course, I'm trying to go through Twitter and read and catch up on everything that's happening. And then by the time I get into the city, and I should also clarify that I have about an hour and a half commute because I live Mm -hmm. in Hudson Valley. Um, (laughs) So then uh, it can be, usually I do the day of air pieces. So I come in, I'm made up, uh, we're given our marching orders for whatever it is that we're going to be going, traveling to said locations, setting up, me talking with the guest. Hopefully I've had a chance to digest enough of the issue to have a robust conversation with that guest and um, then going through you know the interview wrapping up coming back to the station then after once it's done I'm usually now moving on to whatever is going to be happening next and I try to do as much pitching as I possibly can for the show and a lot of times it's also working in collaboration with the other producers to put pieces together and you get involved in the editing of your pieces as well sometimes I do sometimes I don't I usually get involved with the editing when it comes to a narrative standpoint. Um, Sometimes there'll be certain things that I really felt, you know, this stood out, this was really great, we need to make sure this is included, or if we need to move a few things around to make the story arc easier to understand. And that's where I'll step in. Now, I know that you actually have very limited time recording in our studios when you do uh, on-camera interviews from our studios. I should point out that it's the Tisch WNET studios up at Lincoln Center here in New York. Uh, Tell me about one of those days, because I hear that they are very intense, very productive, but days of how many interviews would take place in that studio over the course of a working day? We make the best use of our time in that studio. Um, The most I've had in one day is, I believe, Mm -hmm. And that was coming in, being in the makeup chair no later than 8.30. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, going down and getting onto the set, and you literally go through your interviews one right after the other, after the other, after the other. And what can make that so challenging is not only, again, knowing what it is that you're going to be saying to the person that you're interviewing and how you're going to conduct the interview, but also matching your energy to be appropriate for the subject. Because if I'm talking to a Broadway star, that's very different than talking to someone who is, you know, working on veterans' issues or something. Mm -hmm. The tone has to change. But it's very improvisational in a big way. I try to keep my interviews as improvisational as possible. I mean, the bottom line is that you're tuning in to watch a conversation, um, an intelligent conversation, but a conversation nonetheless. So if I'm just going down a list of like, okay, this question is next, nobody talks like that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I try to follow uh, where my guest is going and pick up on cues that they may have and their answers and allow the conversation to develop organically. One of the other things you've started recently is a podcast for Metro Focus, and you are the podcast person for Metro Focus. And tell me how that's going. That one podcast to another. Yeah, okay. Uh, that is very much a labor of love because a podcast obviously is going to be longer and in-depth. Sometimes I only have like, you know, six to eight minutes for segments on the show. But here I can go more in depth to like 20 minute conversations and we can build a more robust piece where we try as much as possible to take the viewer to the place where we are speaking with our guest, be it um, if it's a physical place or if it's uh, a sort of an imagined manifestation or something like that. We really want people to feel immersed in what they're listening to. I listened to a bit of one of your podcasts, and you had a very effective way of walking down a hall in a museum. I I felt I was there. You were looking at pictures on the walls and describing them, and it was very evocative. And even though it was audio, it became a very visual experience because of what you did. Oh, well, thank you. And I have to say that that is courtesy of my radio experience at WNYC. All right. (laughs) Give them kudos. Yeah. Great credit for that. Now, another thing that is a very important part of everything that happens in public media is social media. And I understand that you're also involved with some of the social media aspects for Metro Focus. Is that right? I am, yes. So, first of all, I think every journalist at this point, um, at least every journalist under, like, I don't know, 50 or something, has to have a Twitter presence, Facebook presence, sometimes Snapchat, Instagram, etc. We have been working with Metro Focus to build up our social media presence. So, we are now on Instagram and we're definitely on Twitter and Facebook, etc. As much as possible, I will try to take pictures when I'm in the field to share with uh, Metro Focus. They'll share out some of my tweets. There's a lot of social media interaction between myself and the show, either in comments or in back and forth on Twitter, etc. And as much as possible, I always, whenever I get tweets from listeners or from viewers, I will always respond. And how is the response been? The response has been really positive so far. I mean, people seem to really like what we're doing. In addition to social media, I know that you must have stories that you've been working on in this year that have been particularly uh, full of challenges or also particularly gratifying. And I wonder if you might address both of those ideas. Oh, my goodness. Well, there's so many. Well, first of all, there's a lot of stories that we're working on. in the going forward into 2018, but I would say so far for this year, 
was the city council speaker race. And I know that sounds incredibly like niche and um, policy wonky nerdy, which I tend to lean towards a bit. But I've always been a really big believer that all politics are local. And the more hyper-local, the more those politics are going to have an effect on people's actual lives. And, of course, uh, the city council speaker here in New York City has an immense amount of power. And once the previous speaker stepped down and it became clear that somebody else was going to be the person who was going to be navigating, I guess, how the city council was going to be directed, that was a really fascinating and still is an ongoing fascinating story. We have yet to see exactly how that's going to play out. Of course. So many of the stories in the political sphere are nowhere near over. Also on the podcast, we did two back-to-back segments where we spoke to a local legislator an assemblyman who is working on a piece of legislation for New York to have its own health care act so that there will be universal health care in New York State. And then we also spoke to someone from one of the political think tanks who was pointing out some of the what he felt were the problematic aspects of this legislation. And is it really realistic for New York State to just go it alone with health care should we no longer have the Affordable Care Act? What kind of stories do you feel that you've been involved with here at Metro Focus that are totally missed by other media. One of the ones that I thought that we did a really good job following was the Gilgo Beach murders, and that was on Long Island where the decomposed remains of several women had turned up on this beach. Mm -hmm. And it's been this ongoing investigation to try to figure out Is there a serial killer? Who is this serial killer? What has been the motivation and why were these women murdered? It's been heartbreaking. We've spoken to members of the family. We've spoken to investigators. We've spoken to some of the few Long Island reporters who have been trying to keep this story alive. So that's something that I'm really proud of that we've done. Sounds great. And looking ahead to 2018, uh, anything else uh, particularly coming your way that you're looking forward to report on? I have been working on a piece about the governor's free tuition legislation. Oh. And basically, because it's now gone into effect, students should be signed up, should have gotten their college tuition provided they are attending a state school and all of the other provisions. So it should be in effect. But I want to find out how that's working and who it's working for and also who it's not working for. There was a lot of back and forth when the legislation was first passed about the fact that this is actually going to do more to help upper middle class kids and not necessarily the poor lower income kids that desperately need need the help. So I've been looking into that. And of course, there's 2018 is going to be a year for the book. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think so. And, and to get away from all of this when mm-hmm. you're up in the Hudson Valley, do you have ways to uh, renew and restore yourself from the news business? Absolutely. First of all, just being in the Hudson Valley. Um, I remember when I first started working in New York and I read some random article and I believe it was one of the big anchors from one of the networks and they were asking this person, what is your favorite view in New York? And she said, it was the lights of Manhattan getting smaller in my rearview mirror. Okay. <laughs> and, this is something you identify with. Then. Well, at the time I was 23. I was like, what are you talking about? There's no other place than New York City. But, you know, after some time goes on, then you're like, oh, 
Oh, no, I totally get that now. So I am a huge hiker. Mm-hmm. I'm a runner. I love being in the mountains. Even in the frigid, cold winter, um, I have cross-country skis. Are you up in the Shongums? Is that what they call them? I the, sure the, am. The Shongums? Uh, yeah. The Mohonk Preserve, the Shongums, the whole nine. So also spend a lot of time on the rail trail. So that's, you know, my quiet space, that... Being out and either running or skiing or hiking or something, it's the fresh air, it's the crispness of it, it's the views. It just allows all of the noise to melt away. Jenna, thank you so much for being with us here on WNAT Up Next, and all the best going forward on Metro Focus and the Metro Focus podcast particularly. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me. Before we leave you, here's a bit of Jenna's interview with Joan London. She is now cancer-free and ready to tell her story of survival. Welcome to the program, Joan. It's my pleasure to be with you. Oh, it's an honor to have you here. Um, So, of course, we are huge fans, and so many people have followed your story from when you first got your diagnosis. But I want you to take me back to that moment. What went through your mind when you first heard those two words? You know, I had done so many interviews over the years with breast cancer experts, and I knew that statistic, one in eight, uh, women will be diagnosed with breast cancer at some time during their lifetime. I just didn't think I'd be the one in eight because I didn't have it in my family history. So to be very honest, um, I just was kind of nonchalant about it. I don't think I ever ingested the information from all the different cancer experts that I interviewed in a personal way, like that it was really going to affect me. So I was pretty shocked when I heard those words. And by the way, I had a clean... 3D mammogram that day. Wow. And then I walked across the hall and had an ultrasound and heard those words, you have cancer. So right from the outset, I felt this compelling need to go out and educate women and and let them hear this, my story, so that they knew that they need to find out uh, if they have very dense breasts. And you can't tell it just by, you know, feeling your breasts. It's something that you find out in a mammogram. Uh-huh. Um, so I've just kind of been out on the the speaking trail for the last three years, ever since I was diagnosed, trying to help empower women with information. All right. Well, listen, Joan London, um, on behalf of women and even men, um, yeah. I would say thank you so much for being that person to come forward and make sure that others know what to ask, how to ask, and where you can go for the information. Oh, thank you so much. And I hope everybody joins me at at homewithjoan.com and becomes part of our community. All right. Well, thank you. That was Jenna Flanagan talking with Joan London. Our guest today has been Jenna Flanagan of MetroFocus, the news and interview program seen daily on 13 WLIW 21 and also airing on NJTV. Online, you'll find it at wnet.org slash MetroFocus. And don't forget the MetroFocus app, which you can download to your tablet or your phone. And as Jenna was telling us about, there's more great content available on the MetroFocus podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and be with us again soon for the second in our three-part look at MetroFocus, when Raphael P. Roman will be our guest. You can share your thoughts with us at upnext at wnet.org, and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, where you'll receive our next episode automatically. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design and On-Air Promotion Department of WNET New York Public Media. I'm Tom Stewart.